Welcome to Thoughts on Thriving, a holistic lifestyle and wellness podcast that's here to help you become the healthiest, happiest, most aligned version of yourself. I'm your host, Ava, a registered dietitian and wellness junkie. I'm so excited to have you here as I dive deep into meaningful conversations covering topics from nutrition and mental health to spirituality and self-development and everything in between with experts in many fields. I'm so happy you're choosing to learn how to thrive today. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughts on Thriving. I hope you're all doing well. I cannot believe it's the first day of March today when this is going out. That is absolutely crazy to me. I am personally two months away, basically, from finishing my master's degree finally in clinical nutrition. And I have, in the meantime, been working on my thesis and just kind of having fun posting on social media. I made like a separate wellness account basically from the Thoughts on Thriving Instagram account. So if you want to go and follow me there, that's going to be more of my main account where I post all of my wellness, health, holistic health stuff. And you can find me at Ava Nuri Wellness on both Instagram and TikTok. So I have been busy, busy just finishing up school and creating content and having fun with just kind of sharing a ton of wellness stuff, which is obviously a big passion of mine, as you all know. And today's episode is a very wellness-focused episode. We have Dr. Heather Finley on the show, and Dr. Finley is a registered dietitian like myself, but she's also a gut health specialist. She has a PhD in clinical nutrition, and she is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to gut health. She takes a super holistic approach to gut health, which I appreciate and align with very much. And I just loved our conversation. I think you will all learn something new and take something away from this episode. Dr. Finley has such a great way of kind of making all of these topics super easy to digest, no pun intended, and we just cover so many different aspects of gut health, so I think this episode is going to help a lot of people, and we kind of get into the nitty-gritty and tangible tools as well. So we talk about how to nurture a healthy microbiome, we talk about different supplements, prebiotics, probiotics, postbiotics. We talk about common gut issues and then how to solve them. And we also talk about things like stress and nervous system regulation and disordered eating and how those all link to gut health. We talk about so many other things as well in the episode, but I'll let you listen to get all of the information. But I hope you all enjoy this episode. Thank you so much again to Dr. Finley for coming on. And let us know what you think over on Instagram at thoughts.on.thriving. And enjoy. Before we get into all things gut health, could you please tell me like a little bit about you, what got you into gut health and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my story starts really from the time I was born. I always tell people that I was born constipated, which sounds really discouraging and depressing. And I don't mean it to be that way, but just to, just to kind of show the journey that I've been on. Um, so I've been interested, you know, in some sense in gut health since the day I was born, because I struggled with digestive issues really my whole life. But to be honest, I didn't really actually realize that they were a problem until I was a teenager. Um, I thought everybody had stomach pain every time they ate. And I thought everybody just didn't poop and didn't feel well. Um, it just, because it had been a part of my life since I was born, I just thought everybody else must feel this way. And 
I, um, remember being on a trip and having really bad GI symptoms, which is a long story. But essentially after that trip, I was like, okay, this is not normal. Like nobody, nobody feels the way that I do. And so it sent me down this rabbit hole of trying to understand nutrition, trying to understand gut health. You know, my parents did the best that they could. Um, but at the time, like nobody really knew anything about the microbiome. Um, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough that like people didn't know about the microbiome. And pretty much if you were constipated, they'd tell you just take Miralax, drink water, you know, eat more fiber. But even that like fiber at that time was like the nasty Metamucil that like your grandma stirred in her orange juice. You know, it wasn't like all the different fiber supplements that we have now and, you know, the, the fiber, even from food that we eat. So went to school to really figure out my own digestive issues. And I graduated with my nutrition degree feeling like a complete fraud because I was like, I still have all these symptoms and they're the worst that they've ever been. And I just spent four years studying nutrition and I have no idea how I'm going to help myself, um, let alone help other people. How am I supposed to be a dietitian and actually help people when I can't even help myself? And so at the time I was working a clinical job in a hospital. And like I said, the, the issues that I was having were the worst that they ever were. Um, and so it sent me on this path to really understand what contributed to digestive symptoms beyond just food and really beyond just like what foods you shouldn't eat. Um, because I think at the time, you know, you ask people like what to do for gut health and they'd say like, eat probiotics, you know, eat yogurt and, you know, take a fiber capsule or like, don't eat this like laundry list of foods. And I was so restricted with what I was eating. I actually remember being, um, at this like CEU event and it was on low FODMAP. And I remember showing up really excited, like ready to learn, okay, this is going to be the ticket. I'm finally going to understand why I'm bloated. And the speaker just literally spent an hour saying everything that you couldn't do. And I left feeling so discouraged because I'm like, I already feel like my life is so restricted. How am I supposed to be more restricted? So long story short, it sent me on a journey to understand functional nutrition and more of an integrative approach. I ended up getting my doctorate in nutrition and really understanding how the body worked together. And finally, for the first time understood that it wasn't just the food that I was eating. Um, it was the foods I wasn't eating that were contributing to my symptoms. And it was also the things I was doing, the thoughts I was having, the lifestyle practices that I had. I was, you know, the person that would wake up at 5am and run six miles before anyone else woke up and, you know, accomplish more before 8am than anybody did in a day. And, that lifestyle got me really far in life, but also really destroyed my health. And so, um, yeah, was on this journey, uh, really learned to heal myself through food, through uh, lifestyle practices and through optimizing my stress, my nervous system, using supplementation and really approaching it from all angles. And now I get to help women do the same. Um, and it's my pleasure and joy to be able to do that because no one should have to get a doctorate to figure out their digestive symptoms. So I did the work and now I can prevent everybody else from, from having to do that for themselves. Wow. I love that so much. And your whole story, I feel like I have so many similarities in my story and I've basically always dealt with gut issues and I can definitely relate. I mean, especially when I was working in the hospital, 
they got really bad, which I mean, we know that stress causes gut issues. So the stress of working in a hospital, there's no doubt that like that might contribute. Um, Not saying that everyone who works in a hospital will have gut issues, but just Mm -hmm. the things that you were saying were kind of clicking for me. And I was like, yes, like me too. And I just love how you spent your whole life like dedicated to this issue so you can help other people. And I'd love to kind of delve into that holistic approach because Mm -hmm. I really love how you come at it, like you said, from all angles. But before we get into kind of remedies and and treatment, I'd love to kind of just go over the gut microbiome because I know it's such a hot topic and define it for everyone and just kind of talk about gut microbiome health. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of weird to think about, but you have this whole other world living inside of you. I did a workshop last night and a lot of the women I were looking at me like a deer in the headlights when I said, you actually have more bacteria in your gut than you have human cells. So you are actually more bacteria than you are human. They looked at me like I was crazy, but they're like, oh, this makes sense. Um, and these bacteria do so much for you. You don't just have bacteria in your gut. You have bacteria on your skin and your mouth, you know, all over your body, but a really concentrated area where we have bacteria is our gut. And so that's referred to as the gut microbiota. And it's the population of, of organisms, not just even bacteria. It can be archaea, fungi, et cetera. And we want to have as many different types of bacteria as possible. If you look at all the emerging research on gut health, it shows us that those who live in other countries besides the U.S. and eat off the land and live a different lifestyle than we do have a abundance of bacteria in their gut. And now they're finding that the, there's a whole like epidemic now that they're researching on like the shrinking microbiome and how our shrinking microbiome is contributing to not only GI issues, but brain fog, dementia, Alzheimer's, um, cardiovascular disease. They're really connecting everything back to the gut and the really kind of funny, but really not funny part of this is if you look at the microbiome of a squirrel, it is actually more diverse than the average American, which is pretty crazy. But if you think about it, you know, they eat off the land, they eat lots of fiber, they are exposed to soil and leaves and everything outside. And I'm not telling everybody to just go outside and eat dirt and that will solve your problems. But um, we want to have an abundance of bacteria in our gut. And one way that we can do that is by eating a diverse amount of foods. Um, It's very culturally normal to eat the same foods every single day. You know, a lot of people meal prep and I'm certainly not opposed to that. I do that as well, but switching up the foods that you eat and feeding all these different bacteria because they're picky eaters. The bacteria that like oats are different than the bacteria that like green beans. So trying to diversify the food that you eat is one way in which you can create a more robust microbiome, which can help you with not only your GI symptoms, but also your mood, your hormones, and um, really many other health conditions. Yeah. It's so linked to basically everything like you were saying. So if we're taking care of our guts, we're kind of taking care of our entire body and all of our systems. And I like how you said a diversity of plants is like how you can kind of diversify your microbiome. Cause I feel like a lot of people would just think, Oh, I'll take a probiotic. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I would love to kind of talk about probiotics, prebiotics. There's also postbiotics these days I've been seeing and kind of defining those because while yes, eating food first and kind of having a diversity of plant foods in your diet is essential to good gut health. I think that there's a time and place for probiotics as well. And I think you'd agree. Yes, there is a time and a place. I'm definitely you know, not opposed to ever using probiotics or prebiotics or postbiotics. And I can talk about all of those. So we'll start with probiotics because that's probably the thing that most people are, are familiar with. Probably a lot of people that listen to this podcast have had an experience where maybe they've gone to Whole Foods or some kind of natural grocery store and they've gone to the refrigerated section and they've bought the most expensive probiotic, right? So they've spent $70 on this probiotic and they're like, this is going to change my life. It was $70. It's got to be awesome, right? I've done that too. So I'm like calling myself out. This is before I really understood what was going on, but you think, okay, well, I'm spending $70 on this probiotic and it has like 40 billion CFUs. So it's really strong. Like this is going to solve my problems and it might, but the thing that you want to know about probiotics is they're strain specific. So the strains that you want for digestive health are very different than the strains that you would want if you had a UTI or for mood or for mental clarity. And so just going and buying the most expensive one with the most amount of strains isn't necessarily beneficial. You may actually find more benefit from one that has less amount of strains and um, is is not as diverse. Uh, Maybe it has just a couple different bacteria in it. So um, all that to say, probiotics are living bacteria. They're the organisms that live in your gut. And when you take a probiotic, you're replacing that bacteria. But the interesting thing is the, the verdict is still out. There's research all over the place on this. Like, do they actually survive the acidity of the stomach? Like do how much actually makes it to your gut? And depending on the probiotic, it depends. It really does. Um, some of them have patented technology to survive the acidity. Some don't. And so you really don't know what you're getting. You could be ingesting this 40 billion CFU probiotic and not all of that is going to make it to your gut, but you still could receive a benefit, but probiotics act like travelers. So you said that you live in New York city. Um, a lot of people travel to New York city So a probiotic acts like me coming to see you in New York City. I would come, I would take a picture, I'd see the sights, I'd eat the food, and then I'd leave, right? That's what probiotics do. They come in the gut, they hang around, eat the food, and then they leave. Um, And the food that they eat is the prebiotic. So that's the fiber source that feeds the probiotic bacteria. So these prebiotic fibers are the fuel source. And if someone is not eating a diverse amount of foods then taking a probiotic is not necessarily the first line defense against a gut issue or really any health issue because it's not going to survive. It needs food. Um, I wouldn't come to New York city and visit you if like all the the restaurants were closed and all the grocery stores were closed. Right? So we want to make sure that we're supporting probiotics with prebiotics because what those two do together, they're like peanut butter and jelly. They produce postbiotics, um, short chain fatty acids like butyrate and propionate. And without getting into like a biochemistry lesson, basically what happens is the probiotics eat the food source and they create these short chain fatty acids that are anti-inflammatory to the body. And the reason that we want that is because short chain fatty acids 
pay us back. They help with brain health. They help with gut health. They improve your gut lining and they do so many things for us. So that's why now you're seeing on the market so many products that are probiotics and prebiotics together, because they're saying, we really understand that you can't treat these things in isolation, or you can't give these things in isolation. Prebiotics, you definitely can give in isolation because they'll help foster the good bacteria in the gut. But probiotics, they need that fuel source. And if you're not getting it from your diet, which a lot of people aren't getting these prebiotic fibers in their diet, then you're really just kind of flushing money down the toilet, which nobody wants to be doing. Yeah, totally. And with the postbiotics, I'm kind of curious because we know that like butyrate, like you said, propionate, acetate, all these short chain fatty acids are really good for our health. Butyrate specifically is really good for the gut lining. Can we take them in supplemental form and have the same effects as maybe our bacteria in our gut creating them? So there are supplements that have these compounds, the butyrate specifically, and it depends. Um, you know, there is some research showing that it does help and there's some that says it doesn't. So it depends on what you're up for. I do think that as the technology and everything advances that it'll get better and better. Um, we've certainly used, um, short chain fatty acid supplementation with clients before, especially clients that have like IBD or like inflammatory gut issues where short chain fatty acids really are the key. Like you want to have that happen to reduce inflammation in the gut and we've seen a benefit. So although the research isn't quite a hundred percent there, it's definitely low risk. Um, as far as something that you can try, it's not something that probably everybody needs to do, but in something like that, you know, working with your health practitioner, it could be beneficial. Got it. Super interesting. And I've, I bet it's only going to get more and more interesting and high tech as we go on, like you said. Yeah. Um. So I thought we could kind of go over some common gut issues together and just kind of talk about the difference between them and then also some remedies that you like to recommend to clients and things that you've seen work. So I feel like the top two gut related issues that I see and hear about and have also experienced myself in my life are constipation and bloating. So yes. I'd love to kind of like define them both and also the difference between them because you're not necessarily always bloated if you're constipated and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll start with constipation. That's definitely the number one thing that we see. We certainly see clients with diarrhea and I'll talk about why, even if you have diarrhea, you, you could actually be constipated. Um, but constipation can is technically defined as like three or less bowel movements per week. Um, I think that's kind of a lame definition. If I'm being honest, like you should poop every day. Um, and you should poop multiple times every day if possible. So, um, you know, everyone's going to be different. It obviously depends on how much you're eating. Um, that's going to make your stool obviously amount different, but if you are going to the bathroom and you're like, there's no way that that's everything I ate yesterday, then like that should be a concern. Um, it also can just be defined as like really, hard stool. So if your stool is really pebbly, hard to pass, um, that typically goes along with constipation. Um, so constipation, not going to the bathroom as much as you should, generally speaking, bloating can happen as a result of constipation. Um, and typically when we have clients that have really severe bloat, they're also severely constipated. 
bloating is usually the last thing to change. So, and the reason being is that bloating can be also caused by imbalances in the gut. So you have to resolve the constipation first, regardless of what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you have SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It doesn't matter if you have H pylori or any other infection. If you can't go to the bathroom, you'll probably be bloated. So getting the bowels moving every single day is always the first priority. Then if you're working on addressing, you know, any other underlying gut issue that could be contributing to the bloat, then sometimes it gets worse before it gets better just being real, but it should resolve over time. But typically, you know, bloating is everyone's least favorite symptom because it's visible and it's uncomfortable and it prevents you from maybe even wearing things that you want to wear. Um, but it will go away especially if you address the constipation and especially if you address the other underlying issues, maybe you have poor digestive capacity. Maybe you don't have enough pancreatic enzymes or bile flow or stomach acid, or you have an infection, like I mentioned, H pylori or a parasite or something. Um, once you know what's causing it, you can address it, but you have to keep the bowels moving um, while doing that. And for constipation, in order to get the bowels moving, I know you said like people used to offer laxatives and tell you to drink more water and have fiber and maybe like some exercise. And that's kind of like the general treatment. So do you have anything else that could help that isn't just those three generic things? Yeah. So I like to add on to those because those aren't necessarily terrible recommendations, but they're not specific enough. So drinking more water is something that most people need to do, especially if you experience really pebbly stool, but most people need minerals and they need electrolytes to help replace what's stripped out of our water. So you could be drinking all the water you want on the webinar that I was giving last night. Someone was like, I drink 150 ounces of water and I still have pebbly stool. And I'm like, it's probably because you need minerals, like stop drinking so much water. Um, you probably are depleting your minerals more or, you know, replace your minerals if you need that much water. But, um, we need sodium, we need potassium, we need magnesium and calcium being the four main minerals, but you can add trace minerals to your water there's drops that you can get, there's powders that you can get, there's custom blends that you can get. I mean, it's all over the board, but we find that minerals really help our clients because when you're just drinking water, but it's going straight through you all day long, you're just peeing it out. Um, if you find yourself like going to the bathroom a lot more than you think you should be, um, you probably need minerals. So adding salt to your water sounds really weird, but it actually really helps. It essentially helps your cells to actually absorb the water. It's called cellular dehydration. So salt will help your cells to go from raisins to grapes. We're trying to have really plump and um, hydrated cells, and we can do that with minerals. So drinking more water, yes, that's a great recommendation, but taking it a step further, add minerals. Um, secondly, eating more fiber. Yes, that can be a great suggestion, but if you have an imbalance of bacteria in your gut, fiber probably makes your symptoms worse. So focusing on the right kinds of fiber can be helpful and building your tolerance. Um, just avoiding all fiber forever to avoid bloating is not a good solution because you're slowly going to continue to shrink your gut bacteria and you know all your beneficial bacteria. But if you add in tolerable fibers like sun fiber or acacia fiber, even ground chia seed fiber can be good for constipation. Um, you can add it in slowly, even if it's like a quarter teaspoon at a time to slowly start to feed those good gut bacteria. 
And then obviously getting it from food. So instead of eating a large raw salad for lunch, can you eat cooked vegetables and cook them down so they're easier to digest? Um, so sometimes it's not even just about like taking things out. It's about changing the form in which you're eating them. Um, exercise is definitely helpful, but we often see clients that exercise too much and that's causing the symptoms that they're having, you know, they're running 10 miles every day and probably not 10, but you know, they're doing hit training and orange theory. And although those things can be great, that's an added stress on the body. And if you're not eating enough, you're not sleeping enough, you're not hydrated and you have gut issues, those are a lot of stressors on your body. So if you're finding yourself really exhausted after that exercise and it's taking you days to recover, it just might be too much right now. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's always going to be like that, but taking a step back from intense exercise, focusing on yoga, Pilates, walking, gentle movement can be really helpful at just kind of decreasing that intensity and allowing the body to get out of a stress state. That was a game changer for me. I was a competitive swimmer my whole life and in college. And I realized now that swimming, although I love swimming was part of the reason I think that I struggled for so long because I was so overtrained. We were swimming like 25 hours a week in college. And I probably was definitely not eating enough. And I was so like undernourished and overtrained and of course I was bloated and constipated. Like when you, when you get down to it at the end of the day, constipation and gut issues are an energy equation and your gut will not work if it doesn't have enough energy, um, because it's always going to prioritize your lungs, your brain, your heart, which is a good thing. Um, the gut is actually a non-essential function, which sounds weird to say, but it's going to make the things that keep you alive going before your gut. So we see the overtraining as another thing that can contribute. So interesting. Cause you think that, oh, exercise is healthy for me, but it's really personal and it's really dependent on all the other lifestyle factors in your life. In terms of bloating, I heard you say somewhere on another podcast, I think that usually it's not really about the foods you're eating at all. And I think that that's kind of a shock to a lot of people when they hear about bloating. So what do you mean by that? And what are some other, I guess, things that we can do for bloating that have nothing to do with food? Yeah. So oftentimes if you're struggling with chronic bloat and also just to back up to, to kind of preface this, some bloating is normal. So when you hear me talking about bloating, just know that like, if you eat a bunch of broccoli, it's normal to get bloated. Um, there's specific reasons why, which we won't get into, but broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, like it's normal to get bloated after those, it should go away. And if it doesn't, then that's a different story. But if you're chronically bloated, you know, every single day you're, you feel like you're six months pregnant and can't button your pants or you're waking up bloated. That's the kind of bloating that we're talking about. Like the painful distension, the bloating that gets worse throughout the day or immediately after meals, that's the kind of bloating we're talking about. Um, but often, you know, if this is happening every day, it's likely not the food anymore. It's a deeper issue. It's a gut issue. So yes, the way that your body's processing the food is causing the bloating, but it's not the food itself because we as humans actually can't digest fiber from our food. Our gut microbes do that for us. So going back to what we were talking about earlier, if you have an imbalance of bacteria in your gut, you won't be able to 
digest fiber very well, which is why it probably makes you very bloated and uncomfortable. So you want to slowly add it in so you don't shock your system. Um, but you can also have bloating from other underlying issues, um, like poor digestion. As I mentioned earlier, a lack of pancreatic enzymes that can cause you to be terribly bloated and gassy and all sorts of things after meals, um, low stomach acid. Um, you can be bloated from parasites. You can be bloated from other infections in the gut. And so it's important to work with someone that can help you identify those things, because if they're just going to hand you a list of things that you can't eat, that's not actually fixing the issue. It might make the symptoms go away temporarily, but what you'll find is you'll just get on this roller coaster of like restrict the food, feel great. Symptoms come back, restrict more food, feel great. Symptoms come back. And then you can't get off of this merry-go-round. Yeah, totally. And I think that it's also like you said, not about the food. It's also how you eat the food too. Like mm -hmm. chewing really well. A lot of people like scarf their food down and they wonder why they're bloated. It's like you have to yes. chew food really well in order to kind of trigger that digestive process. And I know you also talk about kind of the cephalic stage of digestion and like even smelling your food can start to get those digestive enzymes flowing. So yes. there's also so many things that you can do kind of around the eating that has nothing to do with what you're eating too. A hundred percent. Yeah. If you're, if you're sitting down and you're like immediately you look at your food and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to make me bloated. You're automatically in a stressed out state and your digestion does not work when you're stressed because stress is stress to the body. doesn't matter if you're stressed about traffic or your job or something, you know, really terrible that happened, but your body just thinks there's a tiger sitting right next to you. And so it is thinking, I got to get away from this tiger. Not, I need to, you know, produce enzymes and stomach acid to digest this meal. It's thinking we have a threat. We got to run. And so everything shuts down. So even the thoughts that you have about food and how you approach your meal can help. And then exactly what you said, that cephalic phase, smelling, chewing, et cetera, how you eat is really important more sometimes than what you eat. Totally. And I think that's a great segue talking about stress into sort of talking about nervous system regulation and how that's linked to gut health and how we can kind of regulate our nervous systems to then have better digestion. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that now I feel like nervous system regulation is becoming more well-known because a lot of I, in the past, you'd say nervous system and people would say, I don't even know what that is, you know, and nervous system regulation is life-changing, um, for, for me and so many of our clients. Um, and I will say if you're listening to this and you've, someone's told you, you need to work on your nervous system and you're rolling your eyes and you're thinking, oh gosh, I don't have the energy to do that. I get that because I resisted this for years and I wish that I hadn't, but it's okay. Like you have to be ready to do this, but your body is, you, you have to get out of a chronic stressed state. And so if you can't be resilient to stress, nervous system regulation is not about getting rid of stress. It's about teaching your body to handle stress better so that the highs and the lows don't dysregulate you so much so that, you know, when something goes wrong at work or your kid spills their bowl of cereal all over the floor, or you're sitting in traffic, it doesn't take you from a zero to a 10. You can easily just kind of go up the ladder and go right back down and not have it completely derail you. Um, because as I mentioned, stress is stress. And so any perceived stress 
can cause issues and, um, you know, your digestion just doesn't work. You have to be able to get into a rest and digest state to digest your food really well. But, and the great thing about nervous system regulation is it's, it can be really simple. It can be as simple as like turning on a song and dancing to like shift your state, or it can be as simple as like doing a tapping exercise or doing like specific breathing exercises that literally take two minutes. So once you learn these tools, um, you can start integrating them in your day to day. Yeah. I found that when I started meditating, that actually helped a lot with any gut issues I was having because it's kind of like that same thing. It's regulating my nervous system. It's helping me to be calm during the meditation, but also throughout the rest of my day. So I always recommend that to people as well um, for so many reasons, but gut issues like meditation can definitely help with that as well. Or like you said, even just breathing or some sort of mindfulness exercise as well. In terms of stress, I know a lot of people who have gut issues get stressed out about eating, which makes sense because you're afraid that this food is going to cause bloating. It's going to cause all these issues for you. So they start to fear the food. And then on the other hand, when people have had disordered eating in the past or, um, you know, have an eating disorder and fear food for that reason, that can cause gut issues as well. So I'd, I'd love to kind of talk about this whole concept because it's really interesting to me. It's like the chicken or the egg kind of situation. And it's really complex, I think. So what what do you have to say about that? And you know, restriction in general, because so many people will go on these elimination diets to fix their gut issues, like the low FODMAP diet, like you were saying, but that might not always be the best case scenario. Like you said, our microbiome wants a diversity of foods. So if we start taking foods out, it can actually exacerbate the issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is really a chicken or egg situation with restrictive eating and even under eating and disordered eating and gut issues. And usually you have to address both. Um, you know, we definitely see a lot of clients that have been on long-term restrictive diets or have struggled with disordered eating in the past, or they've struggled with even just disordered thoughts about food. And because of the restriction, they have significant gut issues. Um, it's caused some downstream effects in the sense that it is affected their stomach acid, it's affected their enzyme output, it's affected their bacterial balance in the gut, they're more susceptible to other infections and underlying issues, which is why it kind of keeps them stuck because it's really hard to eat if you don't feel well, like you said. So, you know, a lot of times they'll see providers and they'll say, just push through it, it's going to get better, like just eat more and you'll feel better. And like, yeah, that might happen. And that does certainly happen for some people, but if there are some significant underlying issues, you want to address those as well so that it makes it easier for someone to actually tolerate eating more and fueling themselves. We see a ton of clients, um, like I said, that have recovered from an eating disorder or struggle just with disordered eating or just chronic dieting, which is so many people. And they're like, I wish I would have addressed this sooner because I think I would have gotten off the yo-yo diets because that's really the only thing I knew that I could do to like make my symptoms, um, better. And so, yeah, it is a chicken or egg, but you want to really address both at the same time. What are some ways that we can kind of shift our mindset around food? If we do have that fear or even just in general, I think a lot of people, even if they don't have disordered eating or an eating disorder, their mindset around food isn't 
optimal. So Mm -hmm. what are, do you have like any tips on how to do that? Yeah, this is a hard one, but, and it takes time. So being patient with yourself, I think is the first tip and just knowing that it doesn't change overnight. But, and I also think instead of putting pressure on yourself that you have to go from like a negative about food to a positive, how can you just be neutral about it? You know, like instead of thinking that it's going to harm you or be like cause all these symptoms, how can you just get to a place where you're like, this is the meal I'm having. I trust that my body can digest this and I'm going to do everything I can and know to do in order to make that possible. And so, um, all that to say, even just getting to a place of neutrality, I think can help, or just looking at the benefits of that food. So this food has tons of protein and that's going to help me recover from that workout that I just did. This food has tons of fats. That's going to help fuel my brain. This has lots of greens. It's going to give me the micronutrients I need. And so just looking at what it's going to do for you versus what it's going to do for you on like a negative side of things. Yeah, totally. The same goes for like kind of being neutral about your body. If you have body image issues versus being negative, you don't have to go straight to body positivity overnight. So I like that. I like that analogy. In terms of kind of, I know we said it's not usually about the food, but if there is some sort of trigger, what are kind of the more common triggers you see? And Are there any things that we can do with those things? Like I know gluten, a lot of people don't tolerate dairy. What are some common triggers that you see food wise that might actually be the cause? And it's like, not everyone can actually eat everything always. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Like there are certain foods that just some people cannot tolerate. I do see lactose as an issue for a lot of people, not necessarily dairy itself, but it's the lactose in the dairy. So we find that a lot of our clients, they do really well with like lactose-free yogurt or lactose-free cheese. Um, but the regular version, they just can't tolerate because they're lactose intolerant or it's just too much for them. So even just shifting the form, I think is helpful. Gluten, it's all over the board. Some people are fine. Some people are not, but I do find changing the form can help some people. So instead of just a regular piece of bread, how do you do a sourdough? The fermented, you know, aged form of this food source might be better for you. Most of the gluten is broken down by the time the sourdough is, is ready. So, you know, that might be more tolerable for you. Unless of course someone has a wheat allergy, that's a little bit different. You know, you can't have that. Or if you have celiac, obviously avoid that. Um, we also find that the like cruciferous vegetables, sometimes, like I said, those are naturally gas forming. So if you're already bloated, you probably want to go easy on those and just eat them cooked. Don't eat tons of raw broccoli or cauliflower, cook it really, really well, and just kind of monitor the amount until you can tolerate it better. Um, and then, you know, everyone's all over the board as far as like spicy foods, but if the spicy foods are really triggering and giving you reflux or creating cramping or anything, you may want to scale back the spice a little bit. And in terms of restrictive diets, when is kind of a good situation for that? Because like I said, usually restriction can probably starve your gut microbiome. It's not the best can exacerbate gut issues, but I think there's also a time and place for these sorts of things, Mm -hmm. just like the trigger foods we talked about. So do you kind of have like a specific situation in which you would use that? 
if someone is in a huge flare and they just like can't get out of the flare, that's when an elimination can be helpful for the right person. You know, not everybody is going to respond well to that because if that's going to create more stress, the stress about the food is going to be worse than the food itself. But if someone's mentally in a place where they can manage that and handle that and they have guidance, then doing some kind of elimination, you know, temporarily is going to be helpful with thoughtful reintroduction, um, which is where most people go wrong is they stay on the elimination diet. So doing, you know, some kind of elimination diet, if you're in a crazy flare and you just, the symptoms are unmanageable, that can be helpful. But honestly, we don't see that a ton. You know, if you can optimize digestion, if you can get stomach acid working again, if you can slowly reintroduce fiber, you don't usually have to do that. Got it. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty rare when when that was would actually be beneficial. In terms of, I, I feel like we've mentioned the intestinal lining a few times, and I kind of want to talk about leaky gut, just yeah. because I feel like it's such a hot topic. Everyone is so quick to say, "Oh, I have leaky gut," but like even in my, I was telling you earlier, I'm in a class about gut health right now, uh, finishing up my master's, and we were talking about what leaky gut actually is and what it isn't. And I thought it was so interesting because that, I mean, it makes sense why a lot of people in the medical community kind of give it some flack because it might not be everything that people like are saying that it is. So what actually is leaky gut and how can we kind of improve the intestinal lining and kind of improve those symptoms if we do actually have it? Yeah. So a lot of people are just familiar with the term leaky gut, but the actual like terminology for leaky gut, as I'm sure you've learned in your class is intestinal permeability. And essentially what that means is the lining of the gut, which is only one cell thick, which is pretty crazy is permeable and unwanted foreign substances are getting through. These could be bacteria, this could be food, and it's causing the immune system to have a response, which is where like food sensitivities come in and everything else. But sticking to the, the leaky gut conversation, there's a lot of things that can make our gut, you know, quote unquote, leaky stress is a big one. Decreased bacterial diversity is another one. Um, alcohol or like excess alcohol consumption, um, even like excess exercise, that's going to break down the barrier of the gut. Um, so even environmental things, like if you have mold or a, a chronic infection that can definitely disturb the lining of the gut. So, so many mechanisms behind what can actually break down the lining of the gut. But the reason that this is important is because this is what protects your gut immune system from the outside world. And so you want to have a strong, uh, intestinal lining because it's going to prevent your immune system from going nuts with everything you consume. Um, these are the people that, you know, they buy a food sensitivity test off of the Instagram influencer site and they get the test back and they're like, Oh my goodness, it's every food that I eat every single day. Well, yeah, it is because those are the antigens that your body is exposed to. And that's what's leaking through your intestines. So of course that's, what's going to show up. So we want to keep our intestinal lining strong because it's going to boost our immune function and it's going to help prevent us from overreacting to things in our environment. And how do we keep our intestinal barrier strong? I know mm -hmm. L-glutamine is often used. Do you agree with supplementing with that? Um, and if anything else that you've seen, yeah, L-glutamine is great. Um, immunoglobulins are great. Um, there's really amazing research now about immunoglobulin therapy. Um, 
Spore-based probiotics, which we didn't talk about earlier, but spore-based probiotics, a little bit different situation than the whole food situation I described earlier, but spores actually just recolonize your gut and they do help with that intestinal lining. Um, so spore-based probiotics can be really helpful. Zinc carnosine can be helpful. Like you said, glutamine, um, fish oil, diversity in fiber in your diet. So really lots of things can help with this. Awesome. I think that'll help so many people. And I think this whole conversation will help so many people. I'm so glad we got to touch on so many different aspects of gut health. And just to sort of round it out, I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you've been seeing going around on social media, any wellness trends that you've seen related to gut health that you're just kind of like, oh no, like this again, not this again, anything you don't agree with out there, any myths you want to debunk? Yeah, there's so many, but I think the one that's like becoming more popular and that I've gotten, you know, slack on, on Instagram, some is the carnivore diet. There's people promoting the carnivore diet for gut health. And like, that is not a thing. I'm sorry. Like, it's just not, I mean, you might feel great for like a month, but like, I would hate to see what happens to your gut long-term after that. So I guess TBD, we'll see on that, you know, after all these people keep doing this, but that's, that's a big one that I'm like, please don't do that. Just yeah, don't. completely agree. And then I wanted to know your thoughts on, cause people have asked me about this and I'm like, don't just listen to people on TikTok and like take what they're taking but there's this big I mean I guess it's not as big right now but it was a few months ago this like parasite cleanse so I looked into it and I was like what are the like is everyone just assuming they have parasites and taking this supplement mm -hmm. is that something that you've seen in your clients I haven't seen the TikTok trend because I try to stay away from TikTok, but I think I know what you're talking Smart. about because <laughs> I've seen it but um so yeah I mean I think people get really paranoid about parasites. Here's the deal. Probably everybody has some parasites in their system, but that doesn't make it all bad. It depends on how many and at what point it becomes a problem. We're exposed to parasites all day, every day. I mean, probably not that much, but we are exposed to parasites often in our environment and it is your digestive health's job to kill it off, starting with your stomach acid. And so- yeah. Does everybody need to be doing a parasite cleanse? No, absolutely not. Um, but do people have parasites? Yes. Um, but like, please don't take random supplements off TikTok because you could really harm yourself. Um, I've heard horror stories, even from past clients who've, you know, gone to a provider and they were put on a parasite cleanse and they were passing like all this stuff from their gut that was like very concerning. So, um, just be careful what you do. Totally. I would 100% agree with that. Um, <laughs> I have a few rapid fire questions if you have time to yeah. finish up. The first one is what's your favorite fruit? Oh, favorite fruit, mango. Love mango. So good. What's your um, sun sign in astrology? So you, oh like your astrology. Oh, I think sign. Sagittarius. Okay, cool. What is one book that changed your life that you would recommend to everyone? Ooh, so many. Um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. I hear about that one so much. I still haven't read it, but it's so good. I've everyone. read it probably three times. Wow. I need to read it. I have it. I still I just haven't opened it. It's so good. What is one habit or ritual you do every day that's a non-negotiable for you? Recently, 
I'm going to sound crazy, but recently it's been a cold plunge. Um, our pool wow. is like, even last week, our pool was like iced over. And so we were like breaking ice to jump in the pool. So I try to do that every morning, at least for a minute, if not longer. And sounds crazy, but you feel so good after. So that's been my recent non-negotiable. Wow. I've been seeing so many people get into that. And I just, I love being warm. Like I, I really hate the cold. And so that's like one wellness trend that I am very hesitant about, but everyone says they feel so good. So maybe I need to get over it and try it. The first three <laughs> days are the hardest. And then after that, yeah. like, honestly, I look forward to it. It's like wow. not necessarily being in the cold water, but like how you feel after I'm like, you almost get like an adrenaline rush. Um, it's yeah, I feel so much better after your, your mind feels clear and you feel energized. I usually do it in the morning. So after I wake up and it's great. Wow. That's awesome. Well, last question I have for you is this podcast is called thoughts on thriving. So I would like to know what your thoughts on thriving are. What do you think the key to thriving is? I think the key to thriving is finding sustainable wellness habits. I think we are so quick to jump to trends or fads or like even the cold plunge, you know, like stuff like that. Um, it, the key to actually sustainable wellness is doing things every day to support your health versus like jumping on a trend and getting off of a trend. So it's all about the micro moments and the averages versus like the one day that you did everything right. And getting out of that black and white thinking of just thinking you have to do it perfect instead of uh, like in the atomic habits book, you know, just habit stacking one habit at a time to make it part of your lifestyle. That is so true and way easier said than done, but I completely agree. And I think that if we can get out of that extreme zero to 100 thinking that we would all be better. And that's definitely something I'm trying to work on as well. Same. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on today and for having this conversation. I think this will help so many people, like I said before. And if people are interested in working with you and learning more and listening to your podcast and finding you on social media, where can they do that? Yeah. So you can find me on social media at Dr. Heather Finley. Um, that's just F-I-N-L-E-Y. And I actually have a fun quiz. So if you're struggling with bloating or digestive issues and you want to learn which popular song describes your gut issues, you can go to drheatherfinley.co backslash quiz to take the quiz. Perfect. Thank you so much again. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone.